Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to the Community Table Podcast. My name is Seth Fancy. I'm one of our hosts on this podcast. I'm a pastor here in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, east coast of Canada, and uh, I work for King's Church. And today uh, is our inaugural podcast, and the idea of a community table is that you find these places um, in our society. We find them in coffee houses. They're becoming very popular in restaurants, but it's a place that you gather together to listen and learn from one another, specifically on topics and ideas of everyday life that intersect and run parallel to the ways of Jesus. And today I have a really good friend of mine, uh, Michelle Malloy. She is a trauma-informed therapist here in Halifax who specializes in the area of hope in the process of healing. And so I am so excited to kick off this podcast today. I hope that you enjoy it. Well, thanks for the invitation, Seth. I think that especially with the lockdown in the last two years, there's a real um, need for this back and forth, this conversation, when on social media, a lot of times you're just speaking into the wind. It's more of a monologue versus a dialogue. So I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to do this. It's so great to have you, Michelle. And let me just say um, how I'm connected to Michelle. Uh, she has just been a real voice in my life over the last couple of years and has been a person to just kick around ideas. We find ourselves oftentimes in coffee houses or even mall food courts. And there are these moments where we're deep in conversation. And I find myself saying to Michelle, I wish we had a microphone because this could be a podcast. Like this is really good. So I'm really excited to have Michelle here with us today and to have just your wealth of knowledge in the area of trauma. And I kind of want to start there uh, today, if I can. Um, if you look around the world, I think it's safe to say that um, we've kind of come through um, a period of, I would even go as far as saying globalized trauma, and uh, seems to affect a lot of people, even locally, um, on a global stage. And so um, just from your perspective in your field of influence, um, speak about some of the trauma of the day. Well, it's an interesting thing when you think about trauma because we grow up kind of thinking that trauma is an event. And a lot of times with the event, we'll put ourselves on this scale, like my trauma is not as bad as somebody else's trauma. And the way that I look at trauma is more of a wound. So it's not the event necessarily, it's the wound that it leaves. And, you know, a lot of times people are going through the same event and their wounds are very different. And that'll oftentimes depend on what their trauma history has been. So for a lot of people, you know, they're they're experiencing grief. The little people going through the pandemic, if somebody died, for example, and they couldn't have a funeral, that was very traumatic because maybe there was ritual in the family, maybe there was a relationship that was doesn't didn't feel complete. There were words that didn't get a chance to be said. Uh, so the wound can look very different for for different people. And everybody has been affected to some degree from the lockdown. And so the wounds are really what I'm looking for. I, I don't feel like we've, we're just starting, I think, to, to come through the healing process because for the last two years, we've been in a holding pattern. We haven't really known what was going to happen. The government will change its mind in terms of what safety protocols need to be put in place. And so it would be sort of a last second uh, thing that people would have to 
to figure out their life around, um, which can also be traumatic. So we've been in this state of fight, flight, freeze, this stress state. Our bodies are not meant to live in that state for long periods of time. So I feel like once things start to settle down and, and maybe it's this summer, we'll start to feel like things are settling down. I feel like that's when the, the trauma wounds are going to start to fester, if you will. And that's when healing needs to take place. That's a fascinating thought to think that maybe some of the wounds that people have been, um, that have experienced are actually not being dealt with yet. There's still kind of this in-between kind of stage right now that people might find themselves in almost like a, like a car crash where you have whiplash and sometimes you don't feel the pain of something till after a few weeks after the crash. And only then when that pain kind of surfaces, then you are able to start to deal with the healing of that pain, which is a fascinating concept that that doesn't just happen physically. It actually happens emotionally, mentally. It's so interesting that you use that analogy of the car crash, because I'll often talk about that as because people will talk about trauma as capital T trauma and small t trauma. And I use the analogy of a car accident. If you were to go into the emergency room with an injury, the doctor is not going to ask you about the car crash to determine whether or not it was a capital C car crash or a small C car crash. It's not as if you would go in with a broken femur and they would say, oh, well, you just got into a fender bender. Don't you think that's a little ridiculous, Uh, having a broken femur? (laughs) You know, so with physical wounds, of course, that seems ridiculous that we would judge the the wound based on the event. And yet we do that with trauma all the time, all the time. So what I what I'm sort of looking for is, uh, you know, rather than what was the event, what what does the wound look like? And has it all been acknowledged? Because, you know, sometimes, like you say, there's there's the event itself, and then there's a longer term sort of uh, followed. So we can't always feel everything all at once. It, it often comes in, uh, in stages. You said something very profound there, acknowledging wounds. Um, I'm fascinated by that because I think a lot of people, if you're a human, I think in some ways you're going to have some type of wound, uh, whether it's a, a traumatic experience from your past, um, you know, maybe it's something of the present of some sort, um, how does a person go about doing that process? Like, how does a person acknowledge wounds? And maybe a quick follow-up question is, what are there any barriers that stand in the way of a person going through that? Well, I think the biggest barrier oftentimes is, uh, is we, we've been brought up into a, brought up in a society where it's sort of a pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, don't focus on your past, don't focus on your hurts, uh, just move on, get on with it. We even, in the last 10 years, I would say probably very toxic positivity. You can only talk about the things that are positive. So even, and I'm not opposed to getting lessons from difficult situations. I mean, I think that my, I'm a narrative therapist. I help people tell stories. I think stories are the way we understand the world. Uh, even when we're ruminating, a lot of times it's our mind trying to tell a story in, in a logical sort of sequence. And in those stories, is there's there's it's complex. There's lots of different pieces to it, and not all of it is sunshine and rainbows. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't take meaning from it and come away with something really 
good and positive for our understanding of self, for the world. Uh, it just means we we have to look at all of it. Um, and we don't have to live there. I think that's the other thing that can happen is we can, uh, Carolyn Moss uh, says, Miss, I think her name is M-Y-S-S, uh, woundology, she talks about, we, we can get stuck there and live there. So it's not about that. It's just about going back and looking at what happened and how we've adapted because that's how we survive as we adapt. And so oftentimes we'll get into this survival sort of uh, situation where that's all we're doing is adapting and surviving rather than thriving in our environment currently because we've taken the lessons and been able to incorporate that into uh, a new sense of ourselves. What do you think the healing process looks like? If, if someone's listening today, um, and kind of dropping into our coffee community table conversation right now. Um, for someone out there who might be in a place of saying, yeah, I feel wounded and I've got these wounds. Um, are there any sort of like beginning process for somebody to just say, I want to start down this path of healing? Is there is there a starting point? Is there is there kind of a pathway forward in in your in your estimation? Well, as a therapist, I must just have this disclaimer that I'm a big fan of therapy. Mm. So I like when people kind of come in and want to start the conversation. I'll joke oftentimes that therapy is not for the faint of heart. Uh, going through your stuff and talking about things um, is can be really tough. So finding someone, especially if it feels like it may be a long journey or a deep journey, finding somebody who can help to navigate some of that. So I often with clients will say, you know, we'll walk together and there will be parts where we'll need to take a deep dive. But as a therapist, I'm watching for that sort of not leaving people abandoned in that depth to be able to bring them sort of back up for a breath um, so that it, because you still have to get on with your life, you still have to go to work, you still have children, you still have day-to-day -day stuff. So you can't, unless you're going on a three-month retreat, you can't dive right into it and just spend all your time there. So pacing, I think, is really important with healing. So knowing that you may be at the beginning or you're somewhere in this story, this is something that like old bones, you feel like you just keep that box that keeps moving with you house to house, you know, this stuff that you feel like is heavy, you want to look through, you want to put it down. Um, the reason I say therapy now, friends can be very good for this as well, because there's a um, there's a witnessing that needs to happen, I think, in some of this wounding. Uh, so being able to be part of a community, being able to talk about it, there's great programs like Celebrate Recovery for people who have any hurts, hangups and habits they're trying to work through, they're trying to heal through. They do it in community. And telling your story and having it witnessed, having it validated. And then the most important part is then incorporating that into your sense of self and your, your service to the world. What does that mean for how I go out into the world now and, uh, and do me in the world in a new way? There's just a couple of things that I think um, I'm noting from what you're saying. Uh, first and foremost, the healing process cannot happen alone. Like you need trusted relationships. You need people to come around you, it sounds like. And then, um, you know, second, th there's a process to this. It's not like something that happens overnight. We live in this kind of 
instant society that we just snap our fingers or we just want to microwave uh, a heart that's healed. And it, it doesn't often work like that, you know? Yeah, and there's a balance, I think, too, if we want to talk a little bit about um, attachment theory as a part of trauma healing. So attachment theory is if you're feeling insecure, oftentimes people will have one of two responses to that. They'll either feel very anxious when they're feeling insecure. They're wanting a lot of, um, they want a lot of feedback. They want a lot of reassurance. Uh, so, so people who have more of an anxious um, disposition when they're feeling insecure will come into therapy and say, am I doing it right? Fix me. Uh, you know, and I, I'll, I'll joke about, I'm not a fairy godmother, <laughs> you know, um, I'm a therapist. So we, we have to kind of walk a little bit together, but people with a, an anxious, uh, insecure attachment will often be looking, they're, they're more likely to go outside. They're more likely to be looking for a therapist or a friend or a group, um, to just to get the validation that, okay, what I'm feeling is, is okay. It normalizes a bit because other people have gone through something difficult and then the the idea is to kind of get back into a place where he feels kind of secure. The other part that, uh, and this is me, I'm more avoidant. So when things are really heavy, I'm going to want to retreat. I'm going to want to sit with my tea and my journal and my cat and just be in the sunshine. And and I might not share. I it's hard for me to open up to my friends or my or my husband or my. Um, my family, because I'm thinking, oh, I'll just be over here fixing it all by myself. And, and then I'll come back into the group with maybe hopefully some meaning or some wisdom. So it's, I find it difficult and people who are avoidant may find it difficult to reach out because that seems too messy. And I don't, maybe I won't know what to say. So if, if you're a person who's listening, who thinks, I'm, I'm more avoidant. It may be more difficult to reach out. So it's a baby step. You don't have to jump into the deep end. It's a baby step. It's, it's just maybe saying something to someone. Even I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about healing. And I'm thinking there's some things I need to heal in my life and I'm not sure where to start. Um, that even that, uh, that acknowledgement of being where you are is the beginning stage of the healing process. And the other thing I think is important is it's all healing. Um, I'll say oftentimes for my anxious clients who are looking for that that uh, reassurance that they're doing it properly is, you know, I had this thought and it was terrible and then I was mad at myself for having this thought. And I'm encouraging them all the time. It's that all of it is healing. All of it. It's just, it's noticing. Noticing when you have a thought. Noticing when you're mad at yourself for having that thought. Noticing where things are going, that it's all part of the healing process. Michelle, that is gold. That is such good stuff. Um, something you've you've said to me quite a bit over the last, I would say, month or two, um, just in your own kind of your own world and your own study of hope. Um, one of the things that we've we like to do is we kind of like to forecast maybe where where the world is heading and where we're where we're going to find our hope. Um, as a person of faith, obviously as a person who preaches the Bible and preaches um, about the Gospels, um, you know, I'm a person that would say there's hope in, in God, there's hope in the story of Jesus. Um, it's all through the Gospels. Um, but also, just for even someone who's listening who might not affirm the faith at all, um, and I think our faith allows us to go to this place as well, um, but even for them, someone who doesn't have faith, you've said this quite often, and I really, I really find it 
a fascinating statement, but you, you said there's, our hope is going to be the hope of community. And I think what's really interesting, especially in this kind of climate that we live in now, we're post, we're kind of endemic and we're kind of coming out of this two year season of just a lot of stuff, a lot of heaviness, um, kind of episodic things like missing funerals and missing graduations and missing weddings that leave some sort of residue behind us. Um, But it would be remiss for us to say that this hasn't, it's not just episodic. There's also like interpersonal, you know, things that have happened that have caused division and polarization, um, probably at different levels. Um, I've seen it at, of course, a larger level a societal level, but you dig a little bit deeper into like just even family life and those relationships that you have with the people that are closest with you. We've seen a lot of breakage in those areas. And so is it is it like um, an oxymoron <laughs> to say that hope is actually in community? And how, how do you, how do we like journey? from saying okay well i need i need people around me to be able to walk out healing and my wounds um but at the same time how do i do that after i've gone through a season where my community is kind of just it's disintegrated in a way we're kind of polarized in a way um i don't know if you have any thoughts about that and how to speak into that yeah, and I may come back to some of that uh, talking about uh, polarization because I think it's a valid point and we, we're seeing it a lot um, as people, especially in social media, the algorithms are, are such that you see more of, of the way you think um, and somebody else, you know, who thinks differently than you will also be re- will be affirmed and, and you know, uh, see all the things that sort of validate their uh, which I think makes the polarization even uh, even greater. Um, I, I wanted to go back just to hope because when people think about hope, uh, they often think of it more as a wish or a dream. It's something I hope for. And I don't see hope like that. I see it more as a, a philosophy. It's foundational. It's the way that you live your life. And it's not necessarily that everything is going to work out okay, but that we will be okay. And so that... I think the focus on, you know, your sense of self, your your awareness of self, where you fit in your community is all part of that. And I, there's safety, obviously, in community. And with the polarization, that safety, it puts us in this sort of sea of insecurity. So we're going to be feeling really anxious. We're going to be feeling really avoidant. I've wanted to move away to a cave a few times over the last two years. So I think that would be much easier uh, to just live in a cave by myself. Um, but of course, then I know it's because I'm avoiding. I'll watch a few big shows on Netflix and get back into life. Uh, so hope being this place where you kind of this philosophy, this um, that I will be okay. And I know sometimes that can feel uh, unsteady, that I don't know if I will be okay. I don't know how I'll be okay. I, I, I'm sometimes a bit dysfunctionally optimistic because I think when it comes right down to it, people are going to be innovative. And oftentimes it's like that story in Exodus where Moses takes the people right to the edge of the sea and the Egyptians are barreling down on them. And it's only in that sort of emergency state that the the waters part. And I feel like we oftentimes are living our life in that sort of situation. We have to be squeezed before our innovation will emerge. 
Uh, it was a gas crisis in the 70s that led to fuel-injected engines. You know, so sometimes it's necessity uh, is this this sort of thing that uh, will fuel the innovation. And I believe that it will be in community that will, people will sort of, sort of start to move towards smaller communities where people may grow food together, where they're going to want to share. Uh, it may be out of necessity. With the way that the economics are going and there's so much uncertainty, if people start to, you know, lose investments. And I know all this stuff is very scary, but when the power goes out in my neighborhood, somebody makes coffee. You know, somebody fires up a, a barbecue, they'll boil some water. And when they make coffee, the first thing that they want to do is come share it with their neighbors. And I believe that there's more of that in real 3D life than oftentimes we see uh, on social media or in the media. So that being a very 2D sort of existence and understanding of the way the world is and then what we experience day to day. So even with family, if there's polarization there, there is some common ground that maybe people can find their way back together and it may be out of necessity in some cases. Um, so, you know, there is a, a hope in me that keeps moving forward that I believe in this sense of community. I think on a very fundamental level, people feel safer in community and they're going to naturally sort of migrate towards uh, to, towards community. And so, and that may happen in families as well. Sometimes something big happens, somebody dies or something happens. And all of a sudden, all the other political ideology and and things that people are fighting about fall away because now we have this thing that we need to do together as a family. That's such a great that's such a great insight, especially around the idea of necessity. Uh, you were speaking about that. It made me think of the early times with the pandemic, early 2020 into the summer, and how our relationship to our street our neighbors changed drastically. Like before that, and I hate to admit this, and if any of my neighbors are listening, I apologize in advance. Please forgive me. But I hardly knew my neighbors at all. But then we were, were thrown into this kind of global pandemic and we're all disoriented and we're all trying to figure out, you know, what is life going to be like and exist? I mean, there were times where my whole family stayed inside and I just simply, I was the missionary <laughs> going out into the world and going to Costco and coming back and reporting what was going on. But there became this sort of like real synergy on our street, even like we, we know each other now and we continue to care for each other. And that there was something beautiful about that. Like, but I think it drives on what you're saying about the like necessity will kind of innovate a, a, you know, a call back to community. And there has to be some maybe values that that go above all the things that have maybe divided us or even polarized us. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation that I think a lot of people are trying to navigate right now. Um, I just read a CBC article just this past week, and it was all about the Maritimes. Um, here in Atlanta, Canada. And studies show that actually Maritimers and Canadians are more divided now than they ever have been. And um, and it continues to be a trend even for a little while. I'm curious to know, just 
in your thoughts, I have a few thoughts about this, but I want to kind of, I want to kick it over to you for, for a moment here. Just solutions. Like, is there any proactivity to say, you know what, like, I'm coming from not just a, a person of faith, but I'm also a parent. I'm a father and I have children and that are young and rather rambunctious right now. Um, but the world that I see and the world that is all around us is not necessarily one I, I want my children to grow up in, in a way. And so there's this responsibility I feel to be the solution to polarization, to actually move towards peace, um, reconciliation. Um, and so I, I don't know if you have any specific thoughts uh, surrounding just a proactivity in this season. Well, I would say that the first thing to do is just notice that one of the things that I've found, especially over the last two years, is how quickly things will move for, to the one extreme or the other. So you may have a different different opinion than somebody in your family or one of your friends, and it can quickly snowball into what this means about you as a human being, that you hold this thought. And so notice that. Notice how quickly the news media will do that, will will aim to pull people in one direction or the other. And then it may be that you notice that you how often you do it in your own life. So how often do do I will I notice this thought somebody says something to me and then I spiral and push them way over into a corner way far away from me uh, when that may or may not be the case. They may not think that extremely about that thing. Um, and where we've lost the ability to have discourse where we can talk about things where we have differing differences of opinion. And, you know, even when, in my own family, I may have a different opinion than my sister about mask wearing or vaccines or, um, you know, who to vote for, which party, uh, I'm just grasping at some of the places where I see the most extreme, um, things on social media. At the end of the day, I'm still going to text her to ask her if she needs something at Costco because we're family. I'm still going to invite her up for burger night on Friday. Um, you know, when my when my son needed a place to crash for a bit, he's still going to go there. We're still a family. So even though we have these polarized sort of or, or differences of opinion on some things, and of course you always have. I think that's the other thing. None of us have been on the same page about everything with our families for, you know, think about the big, when I was, I'm older than, than you, Seth, and definitely older than Pastor Josiah. Uh, but when I was growing up through the 70s and 80s, um, we were talking, modern world problems at the time were big issues, um, sexuality and uh, homosexuality and abortion. And, you know, some of these really big, they're still, they still exist uh, right now. But they, you know, this they've been around for 30, 40 years. We've been talking about these kinds of things. So there have been differences of opinion before. I think one of the challenges, again, and I keep coming back to the social media, but noticing how much of that is uh, being played out on social media and how different, uh, differently we were sort of um, living through these kinds of the, this discourse, we don't have that anymore. So there, it, you know, it used to be that um, we could talk about things in university, or we can talk about things around the family table, 
And we've lost that a little bit because I think that there's still a place where you can go and have a voice. Uh, you can still, but you're affirmed. You're affirmed always on in these social media platforms where you go. So it's complicated, messy to be part of a community. I think that you know people are going to be different. They're going to have differences of opinion. Um, it's a, it's unfortunate maybe um, for some people listening you know, that might say, "Oh, no, I have to be part of a community as part of my healing." Oh man, <laughs> you know I don't want to do that because uh, it's easier to do by myself. I agree. I'm also avoidant. Um, <laughs> I want to be by myself, figuring it all out. Uh, but there's richness. And I think that that's what you and I have uh, discovered, Seth, is that in these seemingly easygoing coffee conversations that start, we end up in what seems to be, you know, like this deep philosophical conversation. Because uh, there's a there's a desire for it. I think people are really, if you can get past the servicey stuff, you can get into a depth where I see you and you see me. And it's beyond, it sort of transcends the position that we might hold. It's like we suffer, we're in pain, we have wounds, we've had loss. There are so many places where we can connect as human beings. That's so good. You, you just said something I think that is really profound to part of, I think, the solution for a polarized society. And that is to be able to see each other again, in each other's chair, which is really language of empathy, being able to be empathetic and to see the, really the humanity of one another again, um, to see the whites of each other's eyes, to understand the tone of a, of a voice, um, even nonverbal cues, all those sorts of things I think are so profound. I think that's why, um, you know, the heart of this podcast and really the, the heart of what we want to do, even as a church um, and again, if you don't go to church, that's fine. We're, we welcome any listener for sure. But is to actually say, hey, no, we need to come back to these sorts of tables, these places that is really 3D. A lot of what we, how we interact with one another is through connectivity. And connectivity is good, but connectivity isn't everything. Um, community, in a lot of ways, is that people see the best of me and they see the worst of me. And... I can get up and walk away and still throw a hug around somebody and say, you know, I love you and this is good and we're safe and we're all on a journey. And my heart for you is that you thrive and flourish. And I know that your heart for me is that I thrive and flourish. And that empathy plays such a huge role, I think, in healing relationships. I want to take a quick kind of sidetrack here, a rabbit trail, if we haven't taken them already. Um, but I really want to focus in on the topic of forgiveness. And um, again, there's going to be moments on this podcast, especially if I'm hosting where I might nerd out on the Bible. So just bear with me. Um, but one of the things I find so compelling, especially as a person of faith and a thread that we see all through the scriptures is this idea, and I, don't, I want to go as far to say that the Bible doesn't just call it an idea. It's actually a practice and the discipline of forgiveness. And it is so, like, it's so, um, it's just everywhere, especially in the teachings in the way of Jesus. Jesus himself embodied forgiveness. We're coming into Easter, Easter season. And of course, um, Good Friday is a major portion of the Easter weekend, especially for the Christian faith. And Good Friday is all about the cross and the crucifixion and 
and how brutal that whole scene was. But it it also is quite fascinating that in Jesus's most dire moment, the moment where he could have been, um, you know, wanted and had the desire to pay back those who were killing him in kind, he chooses to forgive. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I, I find, especially um, in the teachings of Jesus, and even in my own life, as I, I've actually tested this out, this, this idea of forgiveness um, as a way of maintaining and repairing good relationships and um, realizing that this is a choice. Uh, forgiveness isn't always a feeling. Uh, forgiveness doesn't mean forgiving or, or forgetting. Um, all of those sorts of things that we've kind of um, lost by this by the wayside, and maybe we're kind of getting old-fashioned here, you know. Um, but it seems to me that the cycle of division continues to kind of spur on in our society, and even in my own interpersonal relationships. But it seems to me this idea of forgiveness um, has potential to um, to really reorient our lives and our world to a place that might might actually be peaceful again. Um, I'm just I'm just in that space right now of just like really in this area of forgiveness. How does forgiveness play out in in sort of the the day-to-day of a therapist? Is it is it and it you don't have to go all Bible nerd. I'll be the Bible nerd. Um, but you can go all out in the area of just the I like just the practice of forgiveness itself. Uh, in this, where do you see forgiveness um, as a big component in, in in bringing peace back into our lives? Well, when you think about that image of Good Friday and Jesus on the cross, and he says, forgive them, Father, uh, there's a righteousness in that. And Jesus is entitled to that righteousness. And I think sometimes we, we feel as if um, forgiveness means we need to be righteous, and we're not necessarily righteous. Um, Jesus is righteous. Uh, so it's, it's thinking about, I think, in what I see in my practice, especially because I do grief um, and trauma, they go together. It's, it's how I sort of started in grief and realized I couldn't do it without talking about trauma, uh, especially childhood trauma. Um, when we think about forgiveness, oftentimes there's a, there's a differentiation that needs to be made around forgiving uh, something that happened, an event, or, or something that somebody did to us uh, versus forgiving the person themselves. And sometimes the thing, the event, the thing that they did, it was so horrific, especially in the case of childhood abuse. Uh, you don't, you, you're not going to forgive the event uh, because it's too, it's too big. It doesn't need to be forgiven because we don't want to say it's okay. These events, these things that people do to us or that we've experienced, um, it's the person. It's trying to see the person. And I don't say that in terms of uh, our adult mind wants to bring context and say, oh, I can understand why my my father abused me, for example, if he was abused as a child or, or some of that um, intergenerational trauma. Uh, it's the, the the child, so the adult can see that maybe the, the their parent was abused, and that's why they abuse them. But the child needs to be witnessed. It's trying to understand as a child that you were hurt and you were vulnerable, and somebody should have taken care of you. So forgiving the person who did that to you 
is a little more challenging than forgiving the event. And sometimes those things get really uh, mixed up together. So it's trying to pull them apart a little bit, I think, when we're thinking about forgiveness. So I can acknowledge that something that happened to me when I was a child was unforgivable in terms of the event itself. These things shouldn't be things that we turn a blind eye to. But the person, it's its trying to either uh, make a connection, if it's a person that we want to have in our life and um, make our way back to and have a relationship. Um, but in other cases, it's not. It's not a relationship that's going to be uh, reestablished or established. Maybe the person's died and it's not possible. So forgiveness has almost nothing to do with the other person in that case. It has to do fully with ourselves and our relationship to uh, our memory of that. So it's it can be a bit complex, I think, the, uh, the idea of forgiveness. Sometimes we do some stepping stones um, to kind of get there. Uh, I want to witness oftentimes for the younger part, so that part of the story that maybe the younger part of somebody who felt alone or abandoned, uh, you know, I want us to kind of sit and, and imagine what it might have been like for that young child and bring them sort of into the fold, into the integrate them into the story. And then looking at, you know, forgiveness, if there's resistance, if the person has resistance uh, to the idea of forgiveness, um, so we step, we, we do these sort of stepping stones. Um, oftentimes I find with forgiveness, the hardest uh, person to forgive is uh, the person themselves. The person who is seeking to forgive another, they're often very trapped in, I can't let this go because I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself and my part that I played in it. Um, so it can be messy and complex, like a big knot of chains. We're trying to kind of pull it apart a little bit so we know what we're dealing with. And, uh, and where a person maybe needs to start. Um, so the idea um, of forgiveness is one thing. Actually, forgiving somebody is a, it's a whole different animal. So that could take a little, little bit longer for sure. Like there is so much that you just said right there. And I wish we had way more time to kind of unpack that. And um, we still have a little bit time left on this podcast. But um just again on this topic of forgiveness and and you said you said it so well way more articulate than i think i ever could um but just for our listeners um forgiveness is hard it just is hard because the idea of forgiveness means i am going to absorb debt you know someone has taken something from me you know uh, and i think we have this idea of debt involving money that would be easy because someone could, you know, if someone stole me, you know, stole $25 from me, they could pay me back and I'd take the 25 bucks and we're good to go. You talk about like abuse and trauma and some of those things. That's not monetary. That's actually a person's humanity. And so it's really hard to, it's a hard thing to forgive. Um, I think because it's, but it's a choice. I choose to forgive and uh, another thing you talked about, too, and again, I wish we had way more time to get into this, but there's dimensions to forgiveness. Of course, we think of forgiveness as like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to forgive that person who hurt me. But you said it well, like there's 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 layers. There's like, I you know, I got to forgive life. I got to forgive myself. There's moments I, I have to come to grips with the idea that I have something between me and God right now. Like I'm angry. I'm frustrated. How? Why is he let? 
you know, that happened to my life, but it doesn't happen to their life. And there's just some stuff that we've got to actually walk through and deal with. And that can be a hard process. And so if anyone's listening today and you're like, yeah, I know I should forgive, but it's hard. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to the club. And there's going to be some days where you feel like you have the strength to forgive, honestly. And there's going to be days like, like, no freaking way. I can't do it today, right? Um, but it's that choice to forgive, and it can be painful. But on the flip side, I think what's even more painful is a life that doesn't forgive. It's unforgiveness. It's the fact that I'm going to allow the emotions attached to something that happened to me, whether it's bitterness or anger or whatever, to continue to fester inside of me. Um, and again, like you said so much, and it was so good. Um, but forgiveness really requires one person, right? And oftentimes when I forgive, it's not just unlocking or freeing up that person. It's actually freeing up my own heart that, you know, those emotions and those harsh feelings that I have, I'm letting those go and I'm not letting them go in one moment. I wish forgiveness is a one-time event. Oh, I wish it was true. But it's the process It's the, to forgive and forgive and to be a person forgiveness. This is where Jesus actually talks about this in the Gospels. And one of his disciples, Peter, comes to him and says, all right, Jesus, how, how often should we forgive? Should we forgive seven times? What's interesting there in that text is that there was this kind of rabbinical um, idea of the day, of the, the teachers of the, of the Jewish law, that actually put a limit on a person's uh, willingness to forgive. So they said, yeah, seven times, but after seven, no, it's over, which is great because the Bible doesn't allow humans to be doormats, basically. Um, but Peter, um, thinking that Jesus probably has something to say about this, and of course Jesus does, asking this question, okay, well, is it seven times? And Jesus says, no, actually, it's 70 times seven, which if you do the math, I think it's like 491. That doesn't mean that we have like an Excel spreadsheet for every human being we come in contact with and we're, we're, we're checking off like, oh, wouldn't that be terrible? My wife. I'm like, you're at 492. Sorry, dear. Over, right? And I would have um, been there really, really <laughs> early in my marriage. <laughs> oh, man. We're almost there in our marriage. <laughs> um but I think what Jesus is saying there is that he is calling us to be people of forgiveness. Like it becomes the nature of who we are, not just not just for um, the a person who has hurt me, but a, another layer for myself and my own heart and for the greater community. That I'm actually a contributor to peace to the greater community. And so this idea of forgiveness, yes, is hard, but I think... And I could be wrong, and maybe you can speak into this, but the pain of unforgiveness is even harder. Well, I think that, you know, I was thinking about transformation and the fact that we're meant to transform. Um, so forgiving somebody, you know, 491 times, if that's the limit, um, or or in, infinitely, I think is, you know, what Jesus is saying is to continue to forgive, but not the same thing over and over and over. So I think that that's one of the things that people think about, you know, if, if somebody keeps wronging me, then I have to keep forgiving them. And that's not the case. It's meant to be transformative. So if uh, a lot of times people will hold on to their unforgiveness as a way of protection, like that becomes the boundary. If I don't forgive you, then that will keep me safe. Uh, versus if I do forgive you, it's it's like I'm vulnerable 
to you hurting me again. And so some of what I think forgiveness needs to look like is also around boundaries, that relationships, especially if it's a forgiveness in a relationship that is ongoing, that there's boundaries about how we treat each other. So then that starts to be grounded a little bit more in values. Um, Or perhaps we were talking about polarization, perhaps there's subjects that you don't talk about with people because you know that that's going to pull you um, in different directions and hurt the relationship. And so you agree to kind of park some things and, and not talk about it. It's not as if you get together and you hurt each other and then need to forgive each other that uh, over and over and over again like that. So that idea of, of um, forgiveness being transformational, uh, I think it's it's also the idea of a transforming a sense of self because we need to all well we do change when we forgive it's it's inevitable and for some people that can be very scary so imagine i i often think about you know somebody does something to you they incur a debt um, they do something to you or they do something over and over that has racked up now this debt and then they go away and you're left with the debt and you're paying interest on it. Every thought, every feeling, every action, the way that you are in the world becomes this interest that you're paying on this debt and it becomes almost second nature that you just do. No. So imagine I say to you, hey, you know, let's let's I'm going to take this debt away from you. And you say, no, I because I, there's a righteousness again, back to that. Right. There's a righteousness in paying the debt. Um, I'm right. They're wrong. Um, so. Let's say the the person says, no, I really do want to forgive. I really do want to figure this out. They stop paying the interest. Now there's all this space. What do I do with all these thoughts and feelings and actions and, and things that were centered around this hurt? A lot of my identity may be caught up in in this event or this the, this experience that I had, especially if it's, you know, childhood stuff. Um, so we have to work with that. You know, we can't just say, okay, like, there's a, a, a moment of forgiveness, and then that's the end of the story. Now it's it's like when you take an organ out of somebody's body. Uh, everything needs some time to readjust and settle back in. And so oftentimes it's that that idea of who am I, and now what do I orient my life around? Because oftentimes these things that we, these these often these events or these people that we are talking about when we're thinking about forgiveness, take up a lot of room. And we need to kind of figure out, okay, well, now what? Who am I now? And again, if it's a relationship that's ongoing, something that needs forgiveness, then it's a little bit different. It's about uh, about boundaries. And, and again, it's changing. It's changing who I am and what I'm going to say. If somebody is trying to bait me into a conversation, I may say, closed statement, I'm not going to talk about that. And so that puts a limit, that puts some safety around. Um, so forgiveness, the act itself, is is just the beginning stage. It's all this other stuff that needs to happen around it. Um, now, that does not to scare people off to say, oh, it's too heavy, I can't do it, it's too much, it's too big. Um, it really, once you start walking, it's like, oh, I, now I feel like I'm there. And all of a sudden, my life is oriented in a way that feels more um, more natural around that. So it's, it's like when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights and the 10 pounds feel really heavy at first, that eventually you're just doing the 10 pounds like they're nothing. Uh, and you, you move on with something else because you've 
you've created a strength around that. You've been able to hold these things that felt heavy at the beginning. Now you can hold them quite easily. They don't even challenge you anymore. I love gym analogies. <laughs> they always work, I find, you know? Yeah, um, I love them too. And when you think about muscles, um, the it's in the it's in the rest, it's in the recovery that the muscle gets stronger. It's not actually in the action itself. So when you think about that in terms of forgiveness, it's not the action itself that's gonna bring the strength. It's in the it's in the time after. It's in the but they you know, muscles have to rip and stretch to uh, to build stronger. And I think that in terms of hope, that's what I often will think about, or resilience. Resilience is about bouncing back. I think hope and uh, traumatic growth is about bouncing back, but stronger. Um, not just bouncing back to the way we were, but, but becoming stronger by going through something difficult. That's so good. That's so good, Michelle. You know, um, just a closing thought here, I think. Um, especially with this idea of forgiveness, what I I think something that's helped me, um, you know, have strength to forgive uh, those uh, those around me in my life is to know that I myself have been forgiven. Like I can recall um, people forgiving me and not, you know, requiring payback and not expecting payback of any kind, but they chose to forgive me, and that was. I think that's really profound. And, I, and again, Pastor Hat coming on here for a moment and the fact that we're so close to Easter is, um, you know, the idea or really kind of the core of the Christian faith. And my job is to, you know, talk about this and explore this is, you know, the core of what we believe is that um, forgiveness is possible and forgiveness has been granted. Um, not just from people to people, but from God to people. I mean, that's the beauty and the mystery and the um, incredible reason why so many Christians come together on Good Friday and celebrate that. It's because, wow, this is brutal. Um, it's a place where justice, the righteousness, justice, and mercy come together in this powerful moment. And somehow I am a recipient of all that in this beautiful and powerful way. And so I've just, you know, maybe for someone who's listening today and you know, there's a lot that we got into, which I figured we would, Michelle, this is, this is our, this is our coffee chats right That's here. Right. And um, generally we would go another hour, but we'll spare everybody uh, today. <laughs> um, but just a closing thought, maybe if you're in a place where you've come through this harsh season and you're experiencing some wounds and some polarization and some, a lot of things that we've talked about today, um, and you're like looking for a pathway forward and looking for the strength to to step into a time maybe of healing and, and maybe forgiveness is a big part of that in interpersonal relationships. Um, if there's any sort of nugget that I would I would like to our listeners to know is that you have been forgiven. Like forgiveness has been made possible for you and you can rest in that. And uh, that's a promise that that I've carried um, when you study the life of Jesus and into the New Testament, um, this ongoing reality that um, that you no longer have to pay back and you know pay back what you owe God, um, and so I, I find I find strength in that. I find I find a lot of hope 
um, just in that reality and stepping into that and allowing that to penetrate my own heart and life. And I find it's easier for me to forgive knowing how much I've been forgiven. And, uh, and so, um, any closing thoughts, Michelle, again, um, this has just been so rich and, um, we might have to do a part two here, uh, sometime because there's so much more probably to dive in, but I'd love to just any closing parting thoughts, um, any words of wisdom or hope? Again, this is community table, and I, I want to make space for voices to be able to speak into um, those who might be listening and participating. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I would say that we have. Uh, I'd be happy to come back and do a part two for sure. But you know, we've we've bounced around to on a couple of ideas, and what I would invite people to do is to bring some curiosity about their own what about this podcast what about this conversation has really touched them maybe it was around the polarization maybe it was around the family maybe it was around the forgiveness um if there was something that uh, touched you in a meaningful way then that's the starting point because we notice the things that are important to us and the things that we've been talking about maybe uh, as as people are listening to this they've thought oh yeah gee that that's that thing. Um, it, it bubbles up to the surface where you need to um, focus some attention. Uh, I know for the last 50 years, we've had a big self-esteem and, and self-confidence focus in our world. And I invite more self-awareness. So I think that that's really important because it, it allows for some of the good, the bad and the ugly that we all uh, carry in our lives. And so I would invite curiosity. I would, I would invite people to be reflective in their life and look for are there places where I need to forgive? Are there places where I need to apologize? Are there some big, important statements, emotional connections that I, I need to make that are holding me back from the next step that I need to take in my life? I know a lot of people are feeling stuck and we have to move to, to get that that feeling of stuckness to leave us. So what does that look like? So curiosity, reflection, and again, I'm a big fan of therapy, you know, reaching out to somebody you you love and trust um, and just saying, hey, I'm in this place that feels dark or feels messy. And very likely you'll find somebody who says, yeah, I'm there too. And you, you create this light together. Um, we don't, I think a lot of times we don't reach out because we feel like people are going through stuff and there's a heaviness. I don't want to put my heaviness on them. And they are probably thinking the same thing. But what if we bring our heaviness together and through conversation, there's healing that happens and both of us go away feeling lighter. We didn't absorb the other person's stuff and they didn't absorb ours. We just processed. We processed it and we went away feeling lighter. And to me, that feels very hopeful. That's that's such a that's such a good word. Being able to carry one another's burdens together, and uh, and so uh, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. And um, again, uh, just uh, it's just been such a such a, a good hour here of just a lot of nuggets and a lot of wisdom and a lot of threads. And I just want to echo what Michelle said. I hope I hope you um, something stirs in you um, as you as you kind of listen to this particular conversation. I also want to let everyone else know too that um, 
one of the things that we hope to do, especially if you're in the Halifax area, is to um, do more episodes like this. And there's going to be a lot of probably different topics. There's probably even going to be different hosts. That's the beauty of a community table. It's not just one person leading the, co- the conversation. Um, but one of the things that we are hoping to do is create opportunities, maybe once a month. Um, we're still trying to iron this all out um, for people to actually engage in person at a community table. There, if if you're from the Halifax area, you're gonna know like this place is just so many places to connect and to be able to uh, converse and talk. And uh, and so check out our community table website. You'll also find that on the King's Church Halifax page. Uh, as well. We'll probably have some of those links here in the show notes as well. But if you are a person that's just like, hey, I'd love to be able to just, you know, take some time, a couple hours, sit down. We're going to talk about some of these issues together in real time, in real person. In fact, we just had our first one last night and it was phenomenal. It was incredible. Um, We met at Starbucks, forgive us if you're a coffee snob, Um, but they have a great community table at Starbucks. And um, it was a great opportunity just to, just to, just to sit down and talk. And uh, I, f- I felt when we walked away from that, like I felt lighter in a way. It was really, really a profound thing. And so um, so check out Community Table um, off um, on our website. And we'll probably try to create some show notes for you as well. Again, thank you for listening today. Again, coming from Halifax, Nova Scotia here on the east coast of Canada. Again, Community Table Podcast. God God bless you, and we hope that you have a great day.